Archbishop and Mrs. Raphael, Dr. and Mrs. Thompson, members of the governing board, our faculty, family, friends, and graduates. Yes, I'm the first person that can call you that. Graduates of the college. Uh, as I begin now, I'd like to also acknowledge the original custodians of the land upon which we meet. In God's wisdom and love, our Heavenly Father gave this estate to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Uh, upon this land, for generations they met, long before the coming of European or British settlers. And as we continue to learn to live together on these ancestral lands, we acknowledge and pay our respects to their elders past and present. And we pray that reconciliation will be a reality, knowing that reconciliation with God will lead to reconciliation with each other. And so I commit myself to doing all I can for people to know of reconciliation with our God and Saviour. Well, graduation speeches are interesting. They've gone through something of an evolution. Uh, as I, when I was asked to speak, I, I, was, I was humbled. I'm honoured to be asked to speak and humbled by it. So thank you, Mark, for um, offering me this great privilege. Uh, I, I studied, uh, did some reading and discovered that once upon a time, the graduation speech would have been given by some doctor or professor or someone who's excelled in a particular academic field. Um, well, that's obviously not required anymore. <laughs> uh, and then in more recent times, it's become more of an occasion for a speech to be given to inspire and, and maybe to entertain, uh, to provide wit and wisdom. And so it's more likely that the podium would be taken by a celebrity or someone who's achieved something in, a, in the corporate world. Steve Jobs, the CEO of Apple and Pixar, famously spoke at the graduation day of Stanford University in 2005. Steve Jobs never graduated from Stanford. In fact, Steve Jobs never graduated from any university or college, but he did pretty well with the cartoon business and, uh, and another little computer thing on the side. And so he was the person they had, Denzel Washington, an actor, an Academy Award-winning actor, uh, famously gave the speech at Pennsylvania University in 2011, uh, which you can see on YouTube. It's also repeated because he did it at Dillard University, the exact same speech, in 2015. So I'm keeping this one, just in case someone else wants me. <laughs> Interestingly, Denzel Washington said in his speech, put... God first. Everything I have is by the grace of God. Um, the speech doesn't actually explain who God is or what grace is, but, but when you watch it on YouTube and the music going in the background, it reaches a crescendo, and boy, can that guy deliver a speech. He's very good. Well, you have neither a celebrity, um, a corporate giant, or an actor tonight. You have me. Um, my good friend Keith Arblaster uh, described me as Mr. Mediocre. Yep, that's me. Uh, Keith was in my Bible study group um, and uh, we were considering in the Bible study the context of this passage, who we are, what we are. And Keith turned to me and he said, well, Chris, 
you are really Mr. Mediocre. I mean, you paint, but you're not an artist. You ride a bike, you're not a cyclist. Uh, you can play the guitar, but you are certainly not a musician. Let's face it, in every way, you are mediocre. And uh, so what wit or wisdom can I pass on from Mr. Mediocre to you on this wonderful occasion? Well, I got nothing. Uh, I got nothing. But if you think that's going to stop me speaking, <laughs> I, I don't really have much to say, but I have been the recipient of an incredible gift. We've been given God's words, and I'm thankful that they were read before I got to speak, and it's to those words, which are in your outline, that I'd like to turn. This passage is a very special passage to me uh, for a number of reasons. When I first went to Moore College with my wife, Belinda, we went away for a weekend, an orientation camp, so that we could find out how college worked. We sat in a small group in a circle, and uh, the leader of the group asked each person to explain why they'd come to college, what had inspired them, what had moved them, what scripture had they found that brought them uh, to come to college. And as we were going around the group, everybody was saying, well, Habakkuk 3 verse 2 was the, the verse that really made me come. Or uh, that psalm, remember Psalm 19, where it, it mentions the word. And Belinda nudged me and said, what's our verse? I said, I don't know. Give them John 3.16. That'll get us through. <laughs> and then, as Mark mentioned, I was um, in ministry at Engadine in the Sutherland Shire, and uh, the first passage I was asked to preach on was 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'd been there as a student minister as well. And for two years I'd been preaching to these people and I found that there were people in the congregation who knew so much more than me. What was I doing? And as I read the passage, it dawned on me. My role, my ministry, my privilege was to remind people of what God had given them. To remind them of what God had said and to remind them that his power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Look at verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So I'd like to look at this in three parts. Firstly, you can tell from that verse alone that God intends for his people to be godly. Secondly, it's his divine power and not our own strength that will allow us to live in that godly life. We can't do it on our own. And then thirdly, the power that is needed is provided by him through our knowledge of him. So firstly, being godly. Here's a question I'd like to ask but you don't need to answer right now. In fact, even when we get outside, you don't need to tell me, but I want you to answer it to yourself. Are you more godly now than you were when you started at Moore College? Are you more spiritual? Are you more godly? Maybe I should ask the family members, because <laughs> sometimes it's family who know us better, isn't it? There's no doubt that Peter expects his readers to be going through some sort of moral, spiritual transformation, some sort of life change. The evidence of a true faith, the fruit of a growing knowledge of God, 
is actually evidenced by a transformed life. Has your life changed because of what you've studied? Or are you the same as you were? Have you moved? You see, I don't think you can stay the same. Once you get to know Jesus, you cannot stay the same. He will change you. He will transform you. There, there is only going forward with Jesus. You're either going forward or you're falling. Uh, I, I love to collect illustrations for talks and I remember once sitting at a set of traffic lights uh, and I looked in the mirror and in the rear vision mirror was a cyclist weaving his way through the cars and he came up and he was in front of me stopped at the red light and he was in this incredible lycra and he was trim taut and terrific and he was one of these guys that could move the pedals backwards and forwards and stay upright his, his feet were clipped into the pedals so it was a bit sad when he lost his rhythm and he just went bonk I thought, that's a sermon illustration, isn't it? You bet. If you're not going forward, you will fall. And chapter 2 of this very letter will talk about people who have fallen. You need to keep going forward in your life in godliness. You finished your, your studies at Moore College. You've completed a course. And we are thrilled that you've done that. But do not think that you've reached the end. You need to keep going forward or you will fall. But how do you get the power to do that? The second question, the second point, his divine power, it is God's gift to us. Life is a gift from God. My ministry life is only possible because of God. My life is only possible because of God. I didn't choose to be born. <laughs> who did? But let's face it, God is the one who gives life and gives us life and gives us this opportunity to serve him. This verse makes it so clear. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it in our own strength. But you already know this, right, uh, Daniel? Uh, but there is a trap here for a lot of people who have sat where you are sitting now. They rely on themselves. And here's the danger... They think that will be okay. You see, the dangerous thing about ministry and the dangerous thing about what I'm doing right now is that you either have to be close to Jesus or you have to act as if you're close to Jesus. Because your ministry is going to be all about Jesus. Telling people how good God is, telling people how loving Jesus is, telling people how God will forgive them because he loves them, uh, telling them how amazing his grace is, that gift that we do not deserve of life, of hope, of forgiveness, of adoption. How wonderful the Christian life is. That's what you'll be doing. That's what you'll be telling people. So you either have to act like you're close to God or you have to be close to God. Being close to God means your prayer life needs to be continually ramping up. Your personal study of God's word has to be kept at a pace that will keep you humble. You will find it's very easy to read pieces of the scripture and say to yourself, I already know this. If that's your pace, you've dropped behind. Keep reading more, keep reading deeper so that you'll be humbled, so that you'll face passages with questions, so that you'll face passages and be challenged and realise the greatness of God. 
his incredible power and his incredible knowledge of you. Or you'll have to learn how to fake it. How do you fake it? You talk like you're close to God when you're not. And some people will think you are close to God. And if you do it often enough, you'll become one of those people. You can even kid yourself that you're close to God. And the test will be who are you relying on? Are you relying on your own strength and your own power, your own gifts, your own abilities, your own knowledge, your own understanding, yourself? Or are you relying on him, his word? You might gain followers while you fake it, but you won't be fruitful. Like seeds scattered on a path, the plants might come up, but they will shrivel in the heat or they'll get choked by weeds if you're the only one that's done anything to feed them. You only have the power to win people to yourself and that won't sustain them and actually it won't sustain you. You'll burn out. You'll all be left empty. But if you rely on God's power, transformation. But that's basic, right? That we need to trust in God. That's the gospel we proclaim, isn't it? That we don't have the power to save ourselves. We don't have the power to change ourselves. We don't even have the power to help ourselves. Look at the mess the world is in. We go from one crisis, one catastrophe to another so that we can now have a news cycle that is 24-7 because something's going wrong somewhere all the time. We don't have the power. The gospel we have, however, that good news that we've received is that God makes the difference. God gives life. God transforms us. God forgives us. God loves us and God adopts us. We cannot change ourselves but God can change us. So keep reading, keep studying, keep praying publicly and privately so that you can keep knowing him. He has the power to completely transform you. And that is the gospel we proclaim. That life comes from God, that God changes us, transforms us, even gives us the privilege of making us more and more like his own son. And it's by this gospel we're saved, right? Never forget that Christ died for our sins. And that was according to the great and precious promises that God made in the scriptures. Never forget that he was killed and buried. And never forget that he was raised on the third day according to those great and precious promises that we find in the scriptures. And because he was raised, he appeared, proving that he was alive again. That's our gospel. Death has been conquered. Death has been defeated. And sin can be forgiven. Remember these things. You see, that's my ministry, really, <laughs> to keep reminding you of these things. I'm so glad Jack Norman gave me this verse to preach. So know his promises. Here's my final point. By knowing his great and precious promises, we actually get to know him. It's by studying what he's written about himself, but especially the way that it all focuses 
on his son Jesus that we can participate in the divine nature. By knowing him, we actually become new people. Very practically, this means we must day by day go to God's word to search for him, to find him afresh and new and to be reminded of what he's like every day. Every day. And my encouragement to you is to do this, to fix in your mind each morning as you begin a day one or two of those precious promises. Keep it in your mind, at the front of your mind, because your thoughts matter. And use those verses, those thoughts, to overcome the temptation to sin that will no doubt face you in the course of your day. Deliberately share those promises with someone. And if you're getting towards the end of your day and you haven't shared a promise with someone, find someone. Let them know what God has shown you for that day. You see, in the last part of verse 4, it says that corruptions and cravings and desires can overtake us. And they will because they will work in our minds. But if you're filling your mind with God's word, if you're reminding yourself of those precious promises each morning before you start the day, that's where the battle for the mind will take your place. Fill your thoughts, your mind with God's promises. And unless you enter the day armed with his word, you'll be doing it in your own strength. So I urge you to search your scriptures daily and look for the promises that God has made that are fulfilled in his son. You're smart people. You've all graduated from all college. You're not mediocre. You're people who have faith in the God of all power and might. So make every effort to add to the faith that God has given you goodness and add to goodness knowledge and add to your knowledge self-control because I tell you, knowledge without self-control is arrogance and it's offensive. But even with self-control, you'll need perseverance. So add to your self-control perseverance and add to your perseverance godliness. And godliness, like a magnet, will grab hold of compassion, affection and love. And listen to what the Apostle says. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. <laughs> That's a fantastic verse. I challenge you to memorise it. Verse 8. I can paint. I'm not an artist. I, I can ride a bike, but I wouldn't call myself a cyclist. And I can play guitar, but I'm not a musician. But I know these profound truths. And God has carried me and strengthened me and corrected me, used me in all kinds of places. When I finished college, I had no idea where I would go. It's quite amazing, you know. I've taught the Bible in India, in Africa, in Europe, in Australia. And every single place I've been, I've stood on the shoulders of a more college graduate. That's amazing. But what's even more amazing is as I stand and look at God's word, he speaks to people. Don't do this in your strength. <laughs> in fact, be happy to be mediocre 
and let him shine through you. Amen.